Well, if you, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to uh, 1 John chapter 4. We're studying through the book of John, uh, 1 John this summer. Um, uh, but before we turn to God's word, first of all, I just want to welcome again all the uh, MTW missionaries who are here visiting with us. We're just always excited to uh, have you uh, here for the week, serving our neighbors and, um, and just worshiping with us. So, so welcome. Uh, you know, I should say to both people in our church and those of you uh, who've been here before, we, we usually on the Saturday before you come, uh, come out and do some workout on Lummi uh, beforehand, and we just didn't get it organized in time this year. So next year, we're hoping to be uh, back doing that, but we're always uh, excited about um, uh, the work you're doing out here. And, uh, and many of you know, many people in our church know that uh, Michael Wadhams is an MTW missionary. He's going to be coming uh, next month uh, to, to live here and to work uh, out on Lummi and to help our church um, uh, continue the work that you're doing out there. So uh, thank you so much and, um, and welcome. Uh, just uh, uh, one other announcement that uh, I wanted to make uh, for our church. Uh, uh, yesterday, uh, Daniel uh, Robbins and, and Bethany, his wife, and uh, there's Daniel. How about a wave? Hey, there he is. Uh, he's an assistant pastor. Uh, we just hired an assistant pastor, so we're just really excited uh, to have him come and, and ministering here with us, uh, his wife Bethany and, and uh, two sons, uh, Elijah and uh, Lazarus, and one on the way, and so just welcome you guys. We're, we're really excited for you to be here, so go say hi to Daniel and, and chat with him. Um, just one announcement uh, for, our, uh, for our church. Um, the, uh, there are some purple pieces of paper to fill out about um, opportunities to serve in our church, and uh, they are... The, um, uh, in the bulletin there? Okay. Diana's holding one up. Um, if you're uh, a part of Christ Church, Christ Church is uh, your church home. Um, you know, kind of a, how we imagine what your life in this church will look like will really have kind of three parts to it. That first, you're here worshiping on Sunday mornings. Second, that you're involved in a home group, uh, that you have kind of a, a more intimate, closer group uh, of believers that you meet with during the week, uh, eat and pray and, and study God's word with, they support each other. But the third thing is that you're uh, serving in some way in this church. And so if you're, if you're not serving uh, in any way in this church, get that form, look down and say, where do I fit in? And, uh, you know, we're a family. We, we all got uh, our our family chores to do around here, uh, but find a way uh, to serve. Um, there's lots of opportunities, and, um, and uh, we'd love to get you plugged in. So um, that's all we have for announcements. We're looking at 1 John chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 7 to the end of the chapter. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, there's some Bibles under the chairs. You can grab one, and uh, you'll want to follow along with us uh, uh, through the course of the sermon. This is, uh, this is the word of the Lord, because God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, for, God, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us 
of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have, so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he uh, who does not love his brother whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Our great God in heaven, what hope and beauty and goodness there is in these words to find out that the creator of all things the deep reality behind our lives, behind the world, is love himself, that God is love. We pray that as we study your holy word now, that your spirit would come and um, uh, give color and light to our imaginations, that we could see and believe that the God that we, that we can't see is truly uh, good and loving, slow to anger, patient, gentle, um, all the things uh, that make love good, you are all those things. And so we pray that you would be our teacher, and uh, as it is not our nature to believe that you are good and loving, we ask that you'd give your spirit to soften and open our hearts to the truth of your word, that we could rest in your love truly, and that it might be perfected in us. So uh, be our teacher now. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here. And uh, would your love affect us so that we would indeed love one another and love our neighbors? We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so we are, uh, the passage we're looking at today is, uh, it's probably one of the most famous passages in the Bible about love, you know, this famous phrase, uh, God is love. And, um, you know, I think that many people would say that uh, that. Love is one of the greatest indicators that there is a God. You know, how do we know that there's a God? I think a lot of people say, well, because of love, right? Because you look at nature and you say, well, nature is, you know, violent, competitive, the strong eat the weak. And so uh, there's, no, there's no love in nature. Love has to come from somewhere else besides nature. It must, you know, come from a God who is himself love. Maybe, maybe you've heard that. Maybe that's compelling to you. I think that's compelling to me, that uh, there can only be love if there's a God who's loving, who says we should love each other. But, uh, you know, if any of you have maybe had a conversation with someone about God who doesn't believe in God, and they say, well, you know, I think there's another reason why there might be love, why we might think love is important, not just because there's a loving God, but, um, you know, animals kind of have a herd instinct, right? You know, in and, and evolution, you know, maybe as mammals kind of evolved into primates, evolved into humans, they have a kind of herd instinct where they understand that, you know, if we work together as a herd uh, and, you know, help each other kind of survive, we're going to survive better. So maybe we evolved kind of this herd instinct and then humans have kind of made that into love, but really what it is is our herd instinct that we look out for one another. I mean, that sounds reasonable, compelling, right? Okay, maybe we're like the animals and that's all love is, is, is a herd instinct. The problem, the problem with that, 
and this you might think this is an overstatement, but I, I really think this is true, uh, is that historically, uh, that's just not what happened. Love is not something that gradually emerged into the world. Love is something that spontaneously exploded in human history in the person of Jesus Christ. Love was invented by Jesus Christ. Now, you might say, oh, come on, that's too much. Love was invented. How can someone invent love, right? Um, but uh, the reality is um, that uh, you just, you know, go up the street here to St. Joe's Hospital, and you got all kinds of people who are struggling with, with ailments, maybe cancer, they're dying, they're hurting, and you have all kinds of strangers who are coming around who are caring for them, who are devoting their whole lives to caring for them. We have whole institutions set up for caring for them. And, uh, and you know, if you go out into nature, into the herd mentality, and you see a pack of wolves, you know, traveling along together, and one of the, one of the wolves breaks its leg and it can't walk, you know, the other wolves don't say, hey, guys, listen, this guy's got a bum leg. We're going to have to hold off where we're going next. Let's, let's get him a wheelchair. Let's nurse him back to care. And, uh, you know, he's, he's the weakest one in the pack, and we've got to care for the weakest one, so let's, let's care for him. They don't do that. They say, listen, sorry, pal. The herd instinct uh, we're going to hold on to as long as it helps us. But if you're dragging us down, we've got to go on to get some food, right? There's no love there. And, um, and what we mean by love, sacrificial love, um, love for a stranger, love for someone because, simply because they're human. Giving dignity to humans is something that uh, human nature knew nothing about until Jesus Christ came. And actually, um, in the early centuries of the Roman Empire, when uh, Jesus, uh, God became a man in Jesus, and uh, he died on the cross for the sins of, of God's enemies, um, Christians began loving people in the Roman Empire in ways that no one had seen before. You know, there, there were all these cities in the Roman Empire and, and people would be dying of these plagues and ec- epidemics and all the pagan people were like, wow, people are dying, I'm out of here. And they're fleeing the cities and the Christians were going into the cities. And the, the pagan physicians, the doctors were leaving and the Christians were going in and they were nursing people into health and they'd often take the plague upon themselves so that someone else could get better. And, the, and, and, the, and that's why Christianity just exploded in the Re- Roman Empire because people said, I've never seen this before. No civilization has seen this before. You know, there was a, a Roman emperor, Julian the Apostate, who, uh, who even, he was trying to revive paganism in the Roman Empire, and he said, listen, wh- there's a problem here. All the, the Christians are not just taking care of their poor, they're taking care of the pagan poor, they're taking care of our poor. Our priests aren't even caring for anyone. The Christians are caring not just for their people, but for other people. There is love just, just pouring out of them. And actually, you look historically, hospitals, the abolition of slavery, human rights, public education, people from all over a country uh, flying across the country to come uh, <laughs> care for people that are strangers to them on the Lummi Reservation, all of these things that, that we take for granted of how we should treat our fellow human being are things that did not exist until Jesus Christ came, until love himself emerged into human history. Jesus Christ l- invented love for your neighbor. And actually, you know, if, if you don't believe that, um, I, I read a book recently by a guy named uh, Luke Ferry. He's an he's a atheist philosopher at the University of Paris, and he wrote a book on the history of philosophy. And he even says in that book, he says, listen, any civilization that has not experienced Jesus Christ still doesn't understand human rights. They don't understand human dignity. It is when you experience Jesus Christ that you, be, you begin to love your fellow man. And so... Uh, Love did not evolve. Love did not gradually emerge into human history. Uh, Love came in the person of Jesus Christ, God himself, who is love, who walked among us. And um, 
you see in this passage here, that's why um, uh, John, the, the John who was a close friend of Jesus and uh, uh, was an apostle and was a pastor in, uh, in, the, in the city of Ephesus, he says here um, that, that the mark of being one of God's people, the mark that you are a child of God, that you've been adopted by God, is, is that love it comes to characterize your life because God himself is love. And this is what he says, verse 7, Beloved, you hear that already? He's a pastor. Look at how he's talking to his people. Beloved, I love you. <laughs> Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know uh, God, oh, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So what I want to do this morning as we look at this passage together is uh, reflect on the beauty of God's love that just burst into humanity out of nowhere, spontaneously in Jesus Christ. And, um, and I want to look at four kind of surprising oddities about God's love that I think um, we wouldn't have expected about it. So four surprises, four things we're going to see in this passage. The first is this. God's love is his very nature. God's love is his very nature. So you see that verse, verse 8, anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. So that's kind of a famous passage. If you want to know what God is, God is love. And in the middle of verse 16, uh, again, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God, uh, and God abides in him. So what John, how John understands uh, God is he says this is uh, the very essence of what God is. You want to know who God is, is he's love. And which, you know, is kind of an interesting thing because uh, love requires two people, right? So um, one of the things that we're going to have to, if, if God really is love, and it, before he made the world, if he was love, that means God's going to have to be more than one person. That's what Christians believe, right? That God is one God, but three persons. He's a community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that before the world was even made, God was in this dance, this, this, this intimate dance of serving one another and pouring into one another um, uh, of the Trinity, of loving each other. Love is older than the world itself. And that's a distinctly Christian belief that, that um, no, other, no other religion can believe that because only Christians believe there's one God but three persons. One God is a community. And, um, and so God's very essence is love. But, you know, I, I've shared with uh, some of you who are part of our church. When I was a teenager, I, uh, I, I got sent away to this boarding school um, for about a year and a half. I was in a lot of trouble and stuff. And that's where I became a, a Christian. And I, I was in this boarding school. It was kind of a, um, a new age um, behavioral modification program, and I become a Christian. I, I'd never been to church in my life, and I was just reading the Bible. And uh, they would have these um, these devotional times on Sundays where you could get together and talk about spirituality. And I went to one of these. There was probably 70 kids circled up, and everyone kind of go around. It was kind of weird, actually. One of the kids was kind of the king spiritual guy. I remember he sat. I, I remember it being a throne. It probably wasn't a throne. But there's one kid who was in a throne, and he would direct who could speak. And then he had this little minion next to him. That's how I remember it. It's a skinny little kid. Who, and he'd like, Minion, tell them about spirituality. And he'd come out and talk about laying his hands on trees and absorbing the energy from the trees. And, um, and so I'm visiting this thing. And I say, hey, can I, I want to tell you about Jesus. I've been reading this Bible that I found. And I'm, you know, so I'm going through and saying, listen, you, you want your life to change. Embrace the love of Christ. And, and Jesus will change you. He'll give you new life and all this stuff. And everyone's like, yeah, give us the tree guy. We want the tree guy. Enough with the Jesus. And the throne, the throne king, whoever he was, after, he came up to me and he said, you know, Nate, Nathaniel, come talk to me, my, uh, my child. And, and he said... <laughs> 
Listen, I know, I know you're excited about Jesus, um, but I, I want you to know that I've, he's 16, 16 year old pothead. He's like, I want you to know I've read the whole Bible. And I, you can summarize the whole Bible with this word, love. Love. And I was like, oh man, that's really it? I'm doing all this work reading this Bible. I just need to know that one word. And now he's partly right, right? Partly right, because this is what this says God is love. Which means, you know, we look at the world and everything God does is loving. You know, all the, the you know, this beautiful day, the, the beautiful sky and the trees and the mountains, we say, God is good. He's just pouring out love and beauty. And I hear the birds tw- twittering or whatever, they, you know, and, and God is love. And, and not just that, you know, he gives me people and friendships and, and all these things. God is love. And, and even that, I've been in rebellion against God. I sin against God. And yet he's extended an open pardon. Open pardon to all people who want to be forgiven of all their sins from any nation. Come and be welcome into the kingdom of love. They're all welcome. And he's slow to anger and he's giving people time and just welcoming and coming. God is love. And he's right, right? But on the other hand, um, you know, a lot of people say, okay, that, that sounds pretty good. But actually, you get into that Bible, there's some stuff that doesn't sound too loving. You know, it talks about God sending people to hell and things like that. How, how's that loving? How is a God who condemns people, judges people, uh, loving? And uh, the reality of that is that even that is loving. Because what God does, he opens an open pardon anyone, no matter who you are, come and be forgiven, be pardoned. And yet, if you resist, if you say, I don't want God's love in my life, he's, you know, he's not going to let you into, into heaven because he, heaven is the place of love. And if, if someone resists love and they come into heaven, it's, heaven's just going to become like this, like this world. The life to come is going to be no better than this world. And so, of course, if he's loving, he can't, he can't let that resistance in there. And the fact is, actually, when God judges someone and sends, them, and, and, and sends them out of his presence, what is he doing? He's saying, if, you, uh, if someone resists and says, I don't want God in my life, I don't want his rule in my life, ultimately God is saying, fine, have your way. It's terrible. That's hell. To be cast away from love himself forever is hell, but you can have your way. Everything God does is love. God is um, love in all of who he is. And um, so when the Bible uh, uh, says that, um, so that even when the Bible says that God is love, he also says, uh, Hebrew says, that God is a consuming fire. And it means that his, his love and his wrath are actually one. They're not these two things. God does not have these two personalities where on the, you know, he's sometimes angry and he's sometimes loving. He's kind of schizophrenic. He's got these two faces. It's not like that. His love is a wrathful love and his wrath is a loving wrath. And actually, I want to read you a little, a little paragraph. This is Leslie Newbigin was a, a missionary in India for 50 years, an Anglican, and he, he wrote a book that really changed my life called Proper Confidence. And this is a paragraph from that book. He says this, No one who has been deeply immersed in the biblical narrative could ever again entirely escape from the presence of that one, God. So tender and yet so terrible, so passionate in his wrathful love and his loving wrath, forever calling on those who turn their backs on him, forever humbling himself in tender appeal, forever challenging his children to the heights of utter purity, and finally accepting the shameful death of a condemned sinner in order to open for us the gate of glory. There is absolutely nothing in all the world's sacred scriptures that can be compared for a moment with this. Any society that has lived with this God for more than a thousand years can uh, never, even when revolting against him, wholly cast off that memory. 
when you, when you have encountered the God of love, the fiery, terrible, passionate God of love, you won't forget it. It will leave you changed forever. And love is the very nature of who God is, okay? But on the one hand, um, you know, one of the things that Newbigin's kind of pointing out there is not just that God is love in his nature. He stays up in heaven with the Trinity, and they're all loving each other, but his love comes down, right? And this is the second thing. It's not just that God's, uh, that God's love is his very nature, but second, that God's love is uninvited, God's love is uninvited. And what I mean by that is God's love is not something that we wanted or asked for or even deserved. It's some, God barges into our lives with his love. It comes after us. And you see this in verse 19. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not that we love God. We didn't want love. We didn't want a relationship. We, we were fine living our own life, ruling our own life, making our own decisions. And God's love barged in and came after us. It sought us out. And so the idea is not that God is up in heaven begging us, hey, I want people in my family. Please come and be a part of my people. No, he chases us down. He's a hunter. And I actually, some of you might know uh, uh, Francis Thompson. Francis Thompson uh, was uh, a poet that... Um, who uh, wrote a, a famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. And, and Francis Thompson, was, uh, his dad was a doctor, and he, uh, he was going to become a doctor. He'd gone to med school, but he just wasn't into it and wasn't working, and so he tried to be a writer and write for newspapers, but he just became very poor, and he was selling newspapers and matches and stuff like that, and he became addicted to opium and was living uh, in the, uh, next, to, next to the river, a homeless life, um, an addict uh, in London. And... Uh, and there was a couple that knew kind of his gifts as a poet and they kind of rescued him and brought him into their family and kind of restored him to health. And later in, in, in life, he became a, a really uh, well-recognized poet. And he wrote this poem called The Hound of Heaven. And if you turn to page three in your bullets in there, I, I gave you a little, the, the opening lines of that poem where he describes how God's love is uninvited. It barges into our life. And this is what he says. I fled him. Down the nights and down the days, I fled him. Down the arches of the years, I fled him. Down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. And under running laughter, up vestayed hopes I sped and shot, precipitated adown titanic glooms of chasm fears, from those strong feet that followed, followed after. But with unhurrying chase, an unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat, and a voice beat more instant than the feet. All things betray thee who betrayest me. And how Francis Thompson saw God was he was running away from God. He was chasing him, and God was hunting him like a hound. He was smelling him out, searching him out. And um, this is the love that we read about in the Bible. Love is not some vague energy in the sky, in the universe that we kind of tap into. And if I can kind of get the feelings of warm fuzzies of the universe into my heart, then I'm tapping into love. No, love is this passionate husband, this passionate father who has a child who's gone away and he's chasing. And, this and we're, we're children who are hiding from him, running from him, screaming, I don't want you in my life. And he hunts us down. In those words of, of Francis Thompson, those strong feet that followed, followed after. And some of you might know that. 
Some of you might feel in your heart a resistance to God's rule in your life, God's love in your life. And you feel that he's chasing you all on every side. He's been uh, hedging you in, been putting people in at, at every direction. And this is the truth of God's love, is that you don't find God's love. God's love finds you. You don't go searching for God's love. God's love comes searching for you. And that's, that's the God of the Bible, passionately hunting us down. It comes uninvited, barging into our lives. But God is even more than a hunter, okay? So this is his very nature. He comes uninvited, um, searching after us with his love. But the third thing we see in this passage is also this kind of surprising quality of God's love is that God's love is bloody. God's love is bloody. Now, what do I mean by that? Look at verse 10 here. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, what does that mean? Propitiation, that might be a new word for you. Um, you know, actually, a lot of people who have read the Bible have kind of had a problem with this verse, because why is propitiation showing up in there? Because um, that was kind of one of the things that, that, that pagan gods were often asking for. So uh, propitiation is when a god is asking for a sacrifice to appease their anger. So you have this angry god whose anger will be appeased if, the, if a worshiper will bring kind of a worthy sacrifice. And so that you have these you know, selfish, greedy gods who are always angry and they're demanding bigger and bigger sacrifices from these worshipers. And these pagans will come and, and at the worst cases they're sacrificing you know, their children or people. And, uh, and, and, and so commentators said, well, is, god, is, is John saying God's like the pagan gods who's uh, always demanding more and more, exacting more and more? He's always angry. He's never satisfied. Well, on the one hand, the answer is no, because uh, does God demand sacrifices for us? No, he provides the sacrifice. He gave the sacrifice in Jesus. He doesn't demand more and more. He even offers it for us. He brings it for us. And, and God is, is, is not um, selfish and greedy and wanting more and more from us. God owns everything. It's because we're selfish and greedy that he's angry. And he should be angry. He should be angry at, with, with our greed and the ways we're bitter with each other. He should be um, unsettled and uncomfortable with that. And he is. Um, but what propitiation means that in Jesus, God sent his son to quiet the anger, to satisfy the wrath and anger of God. Now, how does that work? How did Jesus do that? And, uh, you know, the answer is, in the Old Testament, there was this image that, uh, um, of the cup um, and that when people were rebellious against God and they, didn't, they were disobeying him and sinning against him, uh, the prophets used this image of a cup that was kind of filled with poison. And what God said, okay, if you're going to shut me off from your life, basically um, I'm going to hand you over to this cup of wrath. And it was like these people that were taking this cup of poison and they'd drink it down to the dregs. And basically when they're in rebellion against God, it was this cup of wrath. And yet also there was this image in the Old, in, in the Old Testament of the cup of blessing which is this cup that if you drank, it just gave vitality and joy to you and life and fellowship and community and love. And it was all the goodness of, of, of fellowship with God was a cup of blessing. And so the, what the gospel says, what propitiation is about is that Jesus comes who was um, with God forever. He had the cup of blessing. He drank with God in God's presence. And he came to drink the cup of wrath for us, the cup of wrath that we should drink, that should be ours. And he switched it and gave us the cup of blessing. And so now that God's wrath for all of our sin, every sin that we've done that deserves the cup of wrath, he's drank it down and the cup is empty. There's no wrath left. 
And this is the, the essence of what the gospel is. And for many people in our culture, we say, wow, you know, and that's what he, Jesus did when he died on the cross. He was drinking the cup of wrath. And many people in our culture say, wow, this is so primitive, right? The blood, and why does God need the blood and the, the, it's, it, it, um, and the judgment and the wrath? Why do we need all that? And um, why does that matter? What does that do to our life? Let me try to answer that for a second here. Um, whether you've heard that story of the gospel a million times or you've never heard that before, and that sounds very strange to you, why do we need this propitiation, the appeasing of God's anger? Well, let me ask you this. For how many of you is fear a, a major part of your life that you deal with? One of the biggest struggles with is fear of people, of what people are going to think of you, fear of rejection, Maybe fear you don't know what you're going to do with your life. You don't know what your job is going to be, uh, what your vocation is going to be, how you're going to, how you're going to make uh, money. Maybe you're afraid of death. One of the things the Bible says is the way that we deal with fear is actually not by saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't, be, don't do that. Actually, the Bible says you need to be more afraid before you can be less afraid. <laughs> because you're afraid of, of people not liking you or uh, not getting that job or not getting a good grade. And what the Bible says actually that we should all be afraid that we are going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And we're either going to have the cup of wrath or the cup of blessing. And that should be where our, you know, so many of us, we think, gosh, if I had that group of friends, if I had that job, if I had that spouse, um, if I had that money, if I had that house, if I had that security, then my life would mean something. And we're all aiming our life at these kinds of things. And the Bible says you shouldn't be aiming your life there. You should be aiming your life when you're going to stand before God and his examination of us. And that, at first, increases our fear. <laughs> That's far more terrifying. And yet, what the gospel says is that the cup of wrath, if we are in Christ, has been emptied. And so that, that judgment, when we stand there, there's no more fear. Fear is, is eliminated. There's blessing. I look forward to the day when I can stand before God face to face. I'm going to be embraced by him. And fear is cast out. And the reason I go into all this, because this is, this is the application that John gives here in this passage. Look at verse 17 again. By, um, by this is love perfected with us. How does love become the, the centerpiece of my life, the thing that becomes complete in me? By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. He's putting us before God at the end of our life, the day of judgment, because as he is, uh, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And so the fact is, we have so many questions. I mean, who's dealt with their fear? Who's eliminated from fear? So who of us can say, I don't need a bl the bloody love of God? And the Bible says, the reason you can't deal with your fear is because we haven't faced the bloody love, the, the propitiation that casts out fear. And when that love hits us, it, it casts out all fears. And love becomes the centerpiece of our life. And this leads to the fourth thing that we see in this passage, is that when we're free from fear... The fourth thing about God's love is that God's love begins to come through us. God's love comes through us. And um, so that you have on the one hand that God's love is in heaven, you know, in the Trinity. They've been loving each other before the foundations of the earth. And then God comes into history in Jesus, and he's a propitiation for our sins. But then even beyond that, it says in verse 12, no one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. That means it's completed in us. And what he's saying is, listen, you know, all these people are walking around who don't know anything about God and who God is. And they don't see him and they don't know he even exists. And, and, and what he's saying is no one sees them, but when this love becomes perfected in you, you become the token of who God's love. You show the world that God, uh, what God is like, that God is love. You show it to him. And so now they can see God. They can see God is love in you because he's poured his love into you and it's coming out through you. It's shining through you. And, you know, it's almost unfailing. You know, I, I, know, I know that many, for those of you who are here for the uh, MTW mission, this is why you're here. Is you know that when you love people, uh, that's how they come to become Christians. That's how they come to Christ. Is they see they see God's love and they say, you know, how many? I, I've talked to countless people. They were in high school, and high school was so ruthless, and everyone was just um, making fun of people and brutal and bullying and all these things. And then someone invited them to church, and they said these. These teenagers, these high schoolers, they weren't like anyone else I've ever met. They actually loved each other. They actually cared for one another. And he said, I want that. What is that? And they said, it's Jesus. All right, I want it. I'm in. I believe. God's love, that's the quality of his love, is he intends for it to start where he loves us profoundly in Jesus and then it extends through us. And, um, and this is a big thing for us to actually believe that God is loving. Um, you know, I, I, had a, I had a friend, in, uh, a close friend in seminary, uh, who, uh, when he was about 13, 14, uh, he had fallen off an overpass about 15 feet onto a c- concrete slab, and he was uh, paralyzed from the waist down. And um, just loved the Lord. I mean, just sweet guy and very bright, very understood theology, understood the Bible very well. But um, while he was in seminary, he began going to, to one of the counselors on campus, and the counselor was saying, you know, I don't think you've really um, come to terms with the fact that w- of what's happened to you that God let you fall um, off a bridge in, in your life. You're in a wheelchair for your whole life. He says, I think you need to go face God about this. Address, address this with him. And so my buddy, he, he goes out into the woods. He wheels his wheelchair out into the woods in the middle of nowhere where no one can hear him. And he just has this kind of drag-out session with the Lord and, and pleading with him, why did you let this happen? Why did you have me fall? Why is this, what you've, why is this the story that you've chosen for my life? And as he's weeping, I think he, he was out of his chair on the ground, weeping, yelling at the Lord. All of a sudden, the Lord began to answer him. And there were these pictures in his mind of the faces of people that God had brought into his life all through that trial, all through his um, high school, all through, um, through college and into seminary. People that had loved him, that he'd had, uh, uh, had cared for him, had been his friend. And this question of where was God in the middle of all that, he saw their faces. And in their faces, God's love was there. And this is what God's doing, is that he hunts us down. And then he makes us into hunters. (laughs) He makes us into hounds, that we're going after people. We have these people whose hearts are hard towards us, and they're resisting us. And we're going to be persistent with their love, with that deliberate speed just like the hound of heaven, slowly approaching, slowly approaching with that voice, with that welcome, with that invitation, hunting down with the love. And, and this is the plan, is that the king of heaven has come and loved humanity, and the love is coming into us, and then he's sending us out that we would go and love, and that in us people would see and behold the beautiful love of God. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is the plan of Jesus so let me ask you, are you a part of that? 
Have you embraced that love? Has that love defined your life? Defined your heart? The cup of wrath is empty. God has hunted me down and he has me. And now I have the cup of blessing and I want to bring it to as many people as I can. That is the kingdom of God. That's the invitation and the good news of this passage. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you that the truth of the world is not fear, is not violence, is not competition, but is sacrificial love. We thank you that even when we resisted you, you pursued us, you came after us, you were not deterred, and we thank you that you've barged into our lives. Give us that gentle, persistent love as you send us into the world. And we thank you for the truth of your word. Would it transform us? Would it give us joy? 